it's actually been quite eye-opening and, and, and kind of helpful to have a mixture of what's going on. Slumberger uh, being offshore and they they do um, multiple facets in the oil and gas industry are embedded in policy in a big way. Um, they've got a procedure and a, and a process uh, for everything from how to have a meeting to the meeting itself to how frequently everything is. So the personalities that came over there um, were quite good at being systematic. Liberty kind of fly by the seat, but not in a cowboy way. So safety's first. Mark Meadows is a great example. He's he's been a, an asset for us taking taking on the Permian Safety Division. Our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern our business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. Okay, welcome everybody back to the uh, newest episode of the Mission Zero podcast. Um, have an absolute joy of a guest coming in from all the way from Colorado today with us, Brody Leggett from Liberty Oilfield. He is the quality and customer compliance manager for Liberty. Welcome, Brody. Thanks very much, Jeff. Glad to be here. Also, um, great today. I have my, one of my partners in crime, Justin Overstreet from Wildcat Oil Tools, here to help me uh, co-host, be my co-host today and. Bring his knowledge and plethora of knowledge to the business of the business to this uh, conversation. So, welcome, Justin. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So, um, Brody, thank you. I know uh, a long way from home, and I appreciate it. Uh, you know, Liberty came out with their annual report and had a lot of great safety news and a lot of great environmental news. So, it's really a great time to have you on here to kind of explain some of that. Um, explain you know how you achieve those things, and but at first, you know. You'll notice when you're talking, you got a little bit of an accent. So can you tell us about your background, where you're from, and what got you to the point you're where you're at now? Sure, Jeff. A um, bit of a long story, where to start. I was uh, born um, two years after Zimbabwe turned uh, into Zimbabwe from Rhodesia after independence in 1980. I was born in 1982, and I stayed there till I was probably 21, 20, late 20s, 21. And I uh, headed over to England um, and... Uh, started selling um well i was actually a recruitment controller for a company that used to go door-to-door and sell gas and electric so that was, that was well, a they sold what yeah, we sold gas and electric oh, okay. um door-to-door so then like, like the service yes so it's um it was monopolized by british gas and it was deregulated by margaret thatcher and it opened up the doors for other companies to come in and um the basics of it was the same gas through the same pipes and it was just a, an office that was you got the, the bill from, and that's what we'd go and sell. So, um, yeah, that lasted until um, 2005 or six, And then I went um, up to Scotland in Ben Nevis, and I trained as a deep-sea commercial diver. Um, and I did that for probably seven years after that. Um, I think most of it was Denmark. And um, I went to Australia for a couple of contracts. 
Uh, North Sea was was obviously prevalent. Um, a lot of it was on um, laying laying cables for wind farms. <clears throat> so it was clean clean energy to some extent, but there was a lot of uh, oil jackets and, and rises and various sort of situations. The lifestyle you found was heavily on a boat. You'd be three months offshore, and then that contract would close, and you'd have to go and find another another job, basically. Um, and uh, it was fun while it lasted, but it got a little bit monotonous, you know, being away for as long as you are, and then as soon as you're finished, you have to either wait for that company to start another contract six months later, or you had to look for another job. So from there, I decided to go ahead and... Um, follow a, a bit of a dream to become an engineer. So I went down to Campbellbourne School of Mines um, in the south of England in Cornwall and um, completed a, a mining engineering degree um, during which I was uh, active in the sports front with games that the Americans actually set up 36 or 30, 38, nearly 40 years ago um, called the International Collegiate Mining Games. And um, the games were set up in honor of uh, the lives that were lost in a pretty severe um, fire in an American mine, Sunrise Dam, I believe it was, the mine. But um, the games were uh, old school mining techniques um, to keep the tradition of mining alive in, in, in the modern day. Um, you'd fill a two-ton uh, bucket with, with dirt and it was a race to see which, which school could do it the quickest. You would survey across some land and come back to your starting point and you'd show that your results were as close as you started. And um, you would uh, drill a hole in concrete using a hammer and a chisel and there was normally a team of five guys, you'd have two minutes on the go. Anyway, it was, it was pretty fierce competition. And um, as the years have gone by, that's grown more and more following and there's quite a bit of prestige to be at the top of that. So. Um, it was in my so it's still currently going oh, yeah. on. Oh yeah, every, and every so year, like the Holland Games, in, international collegiate mining games, and every year it's hosted in a different country. So wherever you are, you'd have to, um, you know, fund your airplane tickets and get your crews over there. And um, we had uh, three three teams: a men's A, a men's B, and a co-ed, um, and then a chaperone to take the pictures and carry the bags, I suppose. Um, but uh, I'd started that my second year. It was in my third year. I was actually captain for it, and so I needed to find the sponsorship money to get the guys going. So I turned to um, many email addresses that I begged out of my lecturers and teachers and said, come on, help me out. Who am I going to turn to to ask some cash? Um, luckily, it's a mining school, so a lot of the alumni from the Campbell and School of Mines are reasonably have done okay. And um, for some reason, it's a very uh, loyal, very passionate community, the miners. And so the guys who have left were heavily involved in the school. So it didn't, didn't take much and didn't take long before I generated a fair, fair bit of money. And um, sure enough, we did. We got, uh, we got our teams over to, in, in my first, sorry, in my second year when I just joined, second, uh, second year of the degree when I just joined the Mining Games team, we came over to Colorado. Um, and then in the second, in the third year where I was the captain, we, um, the, it was Butte, Montana, and, and there was another one in Missouri. But um, yeah, we did well. We got uh, five golds and seven silvers um, between the, across, the, across the board. And I think that was the first time we'd actually got a gold apart from <laughs> five years ago in survey. So we did well. Um, so that wrapped up that section of life, um, after which it was time to go and find a, a job now that I've got my qualification. 
And um, so it was actually the first email I wrote. I wrote to um, one of the, the guys who, who sponsored us, Mark Pearson, who works for Liberty Resources. And I uh, said to Mark, thanks for that money that you gave me uh, a couple of months ago. Can I, can I have a job? <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure, why don't you come over? So uh, Mark flew me over and he, he, he's with Liberty Resources, which is an operator. Um, and he put me on with Liberty Oilfield Services as a field engineer. Um, and uh, it was in the interim between um, finishing the degree in England in July and me starting over here in um, 2015, February 4th, um, that I decided that was a long enough period for me to head back home. I hadn't been home in probably 10 years. I did, you know, I touched base here and there, but in terms of a long, decent holiday to catch up with the family and things, it had been a while. So I went and spent a good two or three months back in Zimbabwe with the parents in Harare um, and uh, enjoyed the good weather and, and, the, and the time off. And then uh, I flew over to the States and they put me in North Dakota for five straight weeks. Very fit. similar weather to Zimbabwe, right? Absolutely. Spot on. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it, it, that, was, that was an eye-opening experience. I was wearing that many layers. I was pretty useless. I was walking around like Michelin Man. And um, yeah, five, seven days a week. It was, it, was, it was tough for five straight weeks to be involved in that level. Night shift, day shift would rotate every second week and... It was tough to get to get into the groove in that those temperatures. You know. Is the political situation pretty good in Zimbabwe now, or is it pretty easy to visit? Is, it, is your family safe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You you, you found that the history of Zimbabwe and um, the ultimate collapse of Rhodesia, and then Zimbabwe did quite well. Um, the original president, Robert Mugabe, he he was an educated man. He was pretty good at what he did. Um, had he pointed his ambitions in the right direction, he would have served that country very well. For the first seven or eight years, he, he did. He kept the economy really alive. It was one-to-one -one with the U.S., two-to-one with the pound. Um, phenomenal. And then one day it just stopped. There was many, many reasons and explanations that we can think of, but um, land distribution taken away from farmers that were well-established, that were doing tobacco. Um, 16,000 acres of land would be split up and divvied out to uh, apparent ex-war vets, but some of these war vets were like 21, obviously didn't fight in the war. Um, but uh, yeah, it went downhill. So um, not not much, not too much blood as you'd think of, you know, um, takeovers like that and countries falling apart, um, especially when you hear Afri Africa side of mm -hmm. things. You know, the West Coast is fought with just a, a lot of sad, sad news, child soldiers and, and abuse and, and mm -hmm. things like that. Zimbabwe didn't suffer too much. There, there was some slaughtering. There was some you know, livestock was killed to get people off the farms, and, and land distribution was pretty rough. But as a whole, it's just the economy. The squatting thing was a big deal. Yeah, remember reading about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, good to hear. That, you know, they're safe, and you can actually go home and visit your family. So that's great. So you, you now you're in the United States. You would you start with liberty here in the United States. So you've been with liberty the entire time. I did. Yeah, loyal, loyalist to the end. Um, <laughs> They, uh, they've, they've done me proud. Um, put me in as field engineer. You sit in, um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with frac, but um, hydraulic fracturing is a process where you stimulate uh, a well. Um, there's, nowadays we call it unconventional drilling, where you drill down, sometimes it's three miles, two and a half miles, and then you take a turn and you drill horizontal inside you carry on the wellbore inside the formation that is bearing oil 
over here it's typecast and, and shell. Um, and um, the purpose of fracturing is to create a conduit or pathway for the oil to get back to the reservoir so it can come out the hole. There's a lot down there, mm. it's just in pockets and it's kind of locked up. So the idea of stimulating a well through hydraulic frack is just to increase the productivity and maximize the, 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 life, the lifespan of that well. And so I was put into a field engineer position where you sit in the data van and um, you monitor uh, the pressures and the amount of sand and you try and stick as best you can to the design that the customers set in place. How much sand you put into the um, well, which we, we call propent. And the idea is once you um, push really hard with a, a fleet of trucks that are connected downhole through a network of pipes into the well, um, and that pressure goes down to the well bore. Um, through the well bore, sorry, out to the perforations, and then it sends a fracture away from the well, okay? Um, once you stop pushing with those trucks, once you come offline, those fractures are going to close. So what they do is they put propent in place to prop it open. That's why it's called propent. So the sand holds those fractures open over time and then retains the, the pathway for that oil to come back. So the engineer um, would sit in front of five or six screens, looked proper geekish, and just monitor a whole bunch of data, put it together in a visual format, record things like the time tracker, minute by minute record of what we're doing and why we're doing it, um, catch the incoming deliveries of sand and, and watch the flows of, of the sand coming down the well and make sure the densities are right and things like that. So we'd sit alongside and help the, uh, the other fella in the, in the data van, which was the treater, who would be calling the shots out in the field and, and, and guiding the guys outside how they're, what the next step is and when we're going to change the amount of sand that we're moving and, and when we're going to stop and when we're going to just run some acid or when we're going to run you know, fresh water and, and things like that. So that was two years in, the, uh, in North Dakota. And then um, I did one year as a field engineer in the DJ, Denver Julius, which is obviously the Denver area in Colorado. Um, and then after that, I uh, moved into the office as the uh, compliance guy under Jack Amont and Michael Tuani. Can you tell us, you know, in detail what your, you know, what your task for that position? Would you? So, um, the intention was to create a position that was very familiar with the documentation and the document control, and then be able to work with customers and be that bridging personality that could. Um, clearly understand and um, explain to customers how uh, what we're doing matches what their requirements are and also to fully understand what they were asking for so that we could answer the question and be the best we can be um, uh, without changing too much what we do. So some of it is simply sitting down in an audit with a customer and saying, right, here's the, the doc documentation that proves how we do this and why we do it and how long we keep it for. That's in line with what you're requesting. And then if they have um, requests to go above and beyond, then it's my position to uh, try and figure out how to best implement that at Liberty to keep the customer happy, but also to keep us doing what we do the way we do it. Because one, one of the strongest points with Liberty is uh, the, the culture of what we did. We, we, we're in a hydraulic frack. We're the exports, and we have been good at it for as long as I've been with them, and we want to try and keep things the way they are. So to avoid too much red tape and paperwork, we want to keep the culture safe, and we want to keep it flowing. 
And um, so the intention, that's why they started my position. Okay. So as an oil field service company, you've obviously, you've got many times competing priorities from what the customer wants. And and like you said, you know, your processes are in place and and have been for uh, a good amount of time and functioning, you know, properly. And uh, how do you, how do you, kind of manage those expectations between the customer and your operations team who your operations team naturally wants to continue doing it the way they're doing it. And the customer might say, yeah, I I see that you guys are going to seven. We need you to go to 10 or, you know, whatever. How do you, how do you manage those competing priorities? And at what point do you push back on a customer? It's a good question. Um, And it's one that I've always feared going into audits. You're always worried. Why are they auditing us? What's, what's caused this? Um, a lot of it's just, hey, it's been a year, it's been two years, we just want to check in. Um, and uh, my job's been made very easy by Liberty's operation team. They um, put a lot of stages in the ground. We've got, um, it's been a while since I've looked at the numbers coming out of engineering and compliance, but our efficiency, how much time we spend putting sand in, in the ground, putting stages away, is 20 to 25% ahead of other people, other companies. So we, we've done very well. So it does, and then the safety record's been pretty good as well. You know, there's been no compromise. Let's do really well, but expensive safety. That's not happened with us. Um, so the questions have never really come our way. Um, we've never had customers running up saying, like, things are going wrong, can you please tighten up here or there? Of course there have been. Um, I would have said that to do an audit, um, for a customer to audit us and sit us down and look at some paperwork, um, my counterparts on the other side, the, the the customer's compliance guy, possibly maybe wouldn't be doing his job if he didn't look for a hole. And sure. sometimes you find a lot of these situations are not got you exercises, but they're like, we've come together today to make sure that you're doing the best and we can we can grow. Growth is what keeps people innovative and innovation is what keeps you at the front, the leading edge and being... Um, one of the better companies to work with, which is why why we're chosen. Not the cheapest, but we have we have good good results. Um, having said that, the customers will say, right, let's take a look at this policy. Lockout tagout, for instance. There's millions of ways of lockout tagout. Sure. Um, and the safest way is to basically pack up pack up the trucks, send everybody home, and lock them in the cupboard. Um, nobody come out, and that's that's the best way to be safe. You can't do that. So at some point we have we have to go out there and we have to put on the gloves and get some you know get some grease on our hands and, and go and make a plan. And to keep people safe doing that, um, I mean, it, it seems every customer's got a different rendition of the best way to do it. Um, that's when I would turn around and say, particularly with lockout tagout, and say, um, please, can you work with me here? We have been doing this for a long time. We haven't hurt anybody severely. Um, no fatalities. We, we you know everything that we've done has been significant. In terms of keeping our safety figures great, um, our locker—we are the hydraulic frack experts. Um, could you let us just run run this lockout tagout procedure the way we have been doing it? And sometimes they'll sit back and say, "I accept that. That's a great answer." And sometimes they'll be like, "I'm sorry, but we just need just a, just a few things." And some of it's small, like you're all locking it locking it out, but can I have a name on that lock? Um, and then a picture, and then the phone number. And then an address, and it gets out of control. But it does get out of control, and what it ends up sometimes doing is uh, unintentionally driving more of a systemic change 
And, and so how do you, have, have you encountered that? And like you said, you know, for the most part, your customers work with you. And I've had that experience also because I've done the same interfacing that you're doing. Hmm. But have you encountered the, uh, have, have you encountered that? And then when you did encounter that, did you say, okay, well, we'll make that concession for this customer only? Or do you, at what point do you make the concession that, okay, this is something we have to change completely across the board? Yeah, I think, uh, I see where you're going. Um, we have had to make tailored documents. Bridging documents we're not, we're not a fan of. I think we've done one. And we've been around since 2011 was when we set up the first fleet. And I think we went down hole in 2012. So, um, so it took over Christmas for us to set it up. And, but I think in that time period, we've done one or two bridging documents from my side of things. Legalities, MSAs, that's a different story. But um, just from health and safety and the compliance side of things, how we do things, why we do things, we've done very, very few bridging documents. There's a few things that are tailored particular to uh, customers, that are very, very big customers that are quite bureaucratic or they're heavily embedded in policy and they don't really have a choice to allow us to do it our way. They've just got it written down. And if we, if we want their work, then the best way is just try and fall. So there's a couple of things um, where we have got lockout, tagout policies um, defined for them. But I think Jack Amont came a, a long way when he did the, uh, he, he made a move when he came on board as the HR, uh, sorry, he's the HSE director. Um, and he brought in something called a field safety representative. So um, it's a bit like uh, we took a great step forward on purpose because we could see the world drifting heavily towards safety. And so we took a big step for safety above and beyond what everybody else is doing. And we have a personality, a position, which is kind of commonplace now. But back when it started at Liberty, it was pretty rare. Um, cutting edge, you could say. But that personality's uh, role is to just focus on safety. He sits out there, um, one per, uh, a dedicated safety personality on that crew to walk around and check things like fire extinguishers. Are uh, the green hats, because we've got a... A short service employee is somebody who's only been with us for six months or less. Um, and uh, we denote him as a green hat so that we know, you know what guys are doing there within their experience range. And Real quick, just to, to clarify that for some of the audience, depending on who you are on a, on a site, you're given a color helmet to, to help you identify. That's right. And, that, and that's pretty common across the oil industry, right? Yeah. Green hat just says, look, you're new. A uh, you know visitor hat visitors have a different different color hard hat as well. So just for the audience, that's what he means by the green hat. So that's right. Yeah, <clears throat> Liberty. Um, if you're an equipment operator, um, you you're in a red hat. If you're a leadership member, you're in a white hat. Um, if you're new, you're in a green hat. Um, a lot of people will come over from other companies and join Liberty, and they'll uh, have a wealth of experience. And it's a little it's a little tough tough at first to say, "Here's your green hat. Get out there." But they all understand that you know, you've got to, you've got to prove it's proven ground or oil field. You know, you've got to earn, earn your dust. And so um, it wouldn't take long for us to promote those guys because we can clearly see. Um, the, fun, the, the, the bottom line when, when people ask me, when do I give somebody a, a red hat? When do I promote them from green hat? And um, I would say once you're sure that that person is safe and understands what he's doing around such dangers that are present in the frack field, at that point, you can give him a red hat. Once he's okay on his own, and he understands what's going on. Um, 
So yeah, going back to Liberty jumping the gun on the safety side and keeping um, customers really content and happy with our performance was to make sure our numbers were good. And we did that by putting that safety personality in play and that's all he does. He walks around and mentors guys. He checks the housekeeping's on on, on, on point. He uh, checks the dates of the, the iron, making sure that it's certified. And then in, in spec, checks the harnesses, things like that. Yeah, in working with your West Texas team, they, they've got a really good... Uh, line of communication. I'd like to actually have them on for their own episode, uh, how to, uh, their communications with the reporting and things, they've really got a good thing going out there. Um, Liberty, in your annual report, showed um, a safety record that is 18% better than your competition, or, or not competition, but just the, the industry, right? Similar companies. Um, obviously, Tomahawk gloves had a lot to do with that. That's a shameless plug. Uh, besides, besides the improved, uh, greatly improved hand injury record, uh, what do you attribute to that? Do you think the field representative does? Obviously, you think that's important because you just you know you just mentioned that. As a company, how are you doing that? How are you you know beating out the competition and being much more safer? Um, I'll 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 second your plug there, and I say I've noticed your gloves. Jeff, they're, <laughs> they're, they're they're unique, and and I think they're kind of more flexible. They add add that grip, but yeah, putting gloves on people is a big thing. Hand hand injuries account for a huge percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the uh, one of the strong points with Liberty is it's a very engineered. Uh, it's an engineer stronghold. Like engineers come from the field, and then we push. Uh, we use we use the, en- the field engineers as. Um, recruiting sources for sales and I'm an engineer and um, we tend to populate all the positions that we've got with an engineer and um, geekish as, as we are you find that data and trends are something that's pretty quick to analyze if you've got the data available when we uh, the communication you mentioned earlier is something we, we developed with um, one of our uh, Permian engineers Akiko um, where we did a power apps where um, which is accessible through your phone. So instead of a behavior, so we run the behavior-based safety. That's the system of safety that we use out there. It's part culture, it's part common sense, and it's part observations. If you can submit an observation, say, thing that's unsafe, um, if it can go to the right hands, and that's one of the key problems that we had in the oil and gas industry. As, as a matter of fact, even offshore, I found it. Like, there would be an issue, but it wouldn't get to the right person's knowledge that can make a make a difference so we developed instead of using cards that were handwritten and often illegible um, and forgotten uh, or filed in the wrong place um, or not read at the at the safety meets with uh, HSE managers or um, safety management teams uh, we developed an electronic system and um, you pick up your phone and uh, there's QR codes on hard hats and on the data vans. You just simply scan it like you do a menu during COVID. You, you develop, Liberty developed this internally? Yes, yes. On the benefit of a lot of engineers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, Power Apps, I mean, not to, not to plug Microsoft, but they've made it very easy. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and, and it's, very, it's, it's very good. It's very good. It's very, very easy to, to build, but it's easy to use. It's user-friendly, um, and despite its ease, it grabs a lot of data. And, and your field people, and I, and normally I don't get to have this conversation with someone I've worked with so much. They're they're very appreciative of this program. They think highly of it. They think that they they 
that's the feedback I've gotten. Oh, that's great. And, yeah, I'm being dead serious. It was it was interesting that when you brought it up, I was like, oh man, I've I've talked to them in the field, Mark and uh, and the, his team out there in West Texas, and I've talked to them, and it's that's that's I wanted to even have them on. It was it was such a I think it was a subject that was so good in itself to talk about. I was like, ooh, you accomplished something here. You and I think that the idea with communications, like you said, is it getting to the right person, and when is it getting to that person? And we had a in our in my second episode of this podcast, we had uh, Cameron Barrett, who's the CEO of Field Safe Solutions in Calgary. If you if you should you should give that a listen because he's trying to solve this exact problem that you seem to have been onto. You being Liberty seem to have been onto. So that's that's, that's very good to hear. Well, um, following on from Chris's attitude, you know, if you're in the industry, we're going to look after you. It's, uh, it's actually quite pleasing to see somebody, a CEO like that, um, who is as competitive as he is. And yeah. um, if you watch him speak, you'll find he's, he's a very amenable, very peaceful, very enthusiastic, very calm um, personality, but uh, he's, he's competitive. And um, despite that competitive nature, if something happens in his industry, he's, he's very much uh, pro-fighting for, for anybody, whether it's a direct competitor or not. If you're in the industry, he's, he's all about it. Um, so, yeah, that Power Apps function was, was a valuable, valuable tool because you can define um, through, you know, like when you fill out a credit card. Right? Yeah. Um, you can't, it's very difficult to make a mistake. You know, there's a box and it says, you know, put your number in, so you put your number in. And then put your, put your last name, put your first name, and uh, you know some of the numbers, and it's 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 very simple and um, keeps you within the lines, and it sets the data that you need on the back end. So once they hit submit, so we we did our BOC card system on on our phones the same way. Here's a box, choose your district. Here's a box, choose your crew. Here's a box, choose your customer, and everything else like that. So. All the important data that helps us analyze it later for trends, like was it at night shift? Was it in the Permian? Uh, what was the weather? Um, how many days into the hitch were they? Um, all this this data we think is irrelevant, kind of, because you know the guy slipped, he, he let go of the truck to chuck the door handle too quickly and fell over and hurt his, hurt his wrist. Um, we think it's just that one one off incident, but you'll find when you trend it, it is towards the end of his, his two week hitch. You know, it's night shift. Of it always happens on the second Wednesday of every year, that's every the month. Spot, you know, yeah. yeah. So um, that BOC card system through Power Apps uh, helps us gather data. But the, 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 I think the most powerful thing with it is it's easy. So you get your own phone that everybody's got. You might not have your car keys, but you've got your phone. Um, pull up your phone, put in the submission. It can be anonymous, or you can ask for a response from Liberty. And there's text fields as well where you can detail it. So it's not just, you know, stay within the lines that we've decided that you need to submit this and you can put in whatever you like. Um, and those text fields, once, once you hit submit and it's done, it goes to the back end on our uh, online systems and um, automatically goes into reports where we can craft it um, and also goes into a database where the HSC managers can pull those that week's worth of BOC card submissions and use it as talking points and safety and, and, and get with their FSRs, the field safety reps, and get them to get out there and go and see what they can do about minimizing this one that seems to be coming up more and more and try and catch things before they happen. So so with those uh, with those observations, and I'm a big believer in observation programs, I, I know that they're, they can really transform the culture of a company if they're, they're used properly. Um, do you guys have a 
quote is a terrible number, but do you guys have a, a target per person to submit or do you just say, hey, here's a program. It is transformational and we believe in it. Please use it. Uh, how do you encourage uh, people to submit observations without setting an outright number for them to set? It's a great question. We don't have a set number. We don't, also don't demand anything. I think um, a bit of luck uh, from my end because it would very much fall into our safety department um, to create that data if it wasn't coming in. Um, so I think uh, there's probably two aspects going on here. One, there's a very competitive nature between the crews. Um, and two, the, the ease of getting data that trends makes it easy for you to display and show everyone results. So in a graph, if a crew can see that they're kind of on the low side of things, um, as compared to another crew, as compared yeah. to the, uh, another crew, their competitive nature will be like, let's sort that out. So then they go and pick up the pick up the speed, and now they'll, they'll start submissions. You, 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 you know, Justin. Like if you go and say, right, um, it's like the it's like the police getting speeding tickets. It seems to pick up at the end of the month when they're missing their quota. If you go and say, right, guys, you've got four days, but you, you you're, you're fifty you're fifty away from your target. What's going on? They'll go and s start handing in behavior observations cards because yeah, there's a book You'll get 50 left. observations on a tree that's losing its leaves or something. It'll be something like that. It's meaningless. On the run. Right. All right, color. Please, can you get some, some red ones? Correct. Um, yeah, so we avoid um, erroneous data coming in by forcing people to submit things when they're just not ready. Um, we can tailor things um, as well to increase the numbers um, but still keep the data benef beneficial. Um, one of our customers recently asked in an audit, hey, um, the whole industry, as you know, has got uh, stop work authority. If you see anything wrong and you feel that that's a, it's a threat, it's a safety threat, a risk to either personality, um, personnel, equipment, whatever it is, uh, you can stop the job. Um, do you have a, a system for recording when stop work authority was exercised? And, and we hadn't. Um, so then linked into this power up and it was that easy you can just add, add a category so the behavior add a category to the observation program yeah. that so exists the behavior already. observation Correct. program it's now not actually submitting a, a boc card but it's submitting it is submitting a card but the card's value is in the fact that it's a mark or a tag for hey i i, I exercised my stop work authority because this guy was swinging, uh, swinging a heavy hammer and, and there was grease on his hand. And I, I think he was tired, a bit of fatigue, and I asked him to stop. Um, and so we can start monitoring things like that. So, again, very powerful, very versatile. Good old Microsoft power apps. I want to switch gears just for a few minutes, and I won't ask any you know, too complicated or too detailed questions about it, but you know, also in the annual report showed for five straight years your emissions have gone down from your – you know, from your diesel, you've uh, your diesel pumps. You've uh, you become more efficient with it every year. It seems like it seems like almost every year Liberty had a new design that improved that, right? Um, <clears throat> you got? Are you guys uh, move, or have any plans, or are you moving to an uh, EFRAC like a lot of the companies are doing out there? Is it something that uh, Liberty's looking at? If so, why or why not? Um, yeah, we are. We're always trying to step forward. One, you've got to stay within your economic purpose of a business. You have mm -hmm. to make money. So we have to keep stages in, in the ground. We have to keep customers happy. Um, we have to find ways of doing it cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, one of the strengths with the American industries is that 
um, it's not a strength really, but it's a little bit more expensive to get oil out of tight gas sands. It mm-hmm. takes takes a bit more effort and time. Um, it's not just a matter of poke a hole in the ground and like a straw sucking out of a, a, a glass, the, the oil comes out. You have to really work at it over there to get it out. Um, but our efficiencies during the downturns went up so much that now we're getting better and better and we're looking for areas where we can improve all the time. Um, it started off with... Uh, not fears, but expectations that the rules and the regulations are going to become more and more stringent. So to keep ahead of the game, we developed a quiet fleet. So um, we've dropped the decibel output from the fleets from what they used to be a roaring and we encapsulated it and now the pumps, you can actually stand between them when they're an idle and you can have a phone conversation. Oh, um, so they're, they're significantly reduced and that's on the sound side. Emissions is in line with the technology that's available out there um, and knowing that the more you reduce it, the better your footprint. Um, Drifting towards using um, dual fuel fleets where you can pull natural gas back and start running your fleets on natural gas and not just pushing diesel. That's a a big innovation that's being pushed in the field. And then the electric fleets, now that we've taken on... um, Slumberjays, frac, frac assets, that's become more and more of a focus. And I think we've been doing it and looking at it for a, a while beforehand anyway. But now it's a big drive to get that way. You've just got to balance um, where to get the electricity from. Because if you're going to start running generators, you're back into running diesel. Um, so a lot like Elon Musk, where he's pushing electric cars um, and he's pushing solar, we're trying to balance out the damage you're doing to the environment from mining that solar to um, you know, powering those batteries. You know, where, where, where's, the, where's the tipping point? And we, we're still feeling that oil and gas is per kg calorific value is worth cleaner than going in other routes for now, apart from nuclear. But that's difficult. That's another story. How have you guys, um, <clears throat> for, for those who don't know, um, as you mentioned, Liberty did uh, merge or acquire uh, Slumberjays Pressure Pumping Group or Fracky Group. Um, a lot of new people, a lot of different culture. Um, you know, I've tried to talk to Mark Meadows, your your Permian uh, HSC lead, about that. Doesn't have enough time to talk at all these days. But uh, how is how have you as a company? Is well, I won't ask you how, but have it, has it been easier than you thought it would be? Has it been more difficult than you thought it would be to merge two different safety cultures together as, a, as one company? Um, it's actually been quite eye-opening and, and, and kind of helpful to have a mixture of what's going on. Um, Slumberger uh, being offshore and they, they do um, multiple facets in the oil and gas industry are embedded in policy in a big way. Um, they've got a procedure and a, and a process uh, for everything from how to have a meeting to the meeting itself to how frequently everything is So the personalities that came over there um, were quite good at being systematic. Liberty kind of fly by the seat, but not in a cowboy way. So safety's first. Mark Meadows is a great example. He's He's been um, a, an asset for us taking taking on the Permian safety division. Most of the, I think... A high majority of the fracks that are going on right now are coming through his his division. Um, so he's, he's gone. Great. He's gone from quiet to really, really noisy, mm-hmm. really quickly. Um, and the addition of Nate Donny um, coming on, and there's Jason Garcia down in Shreveport as well. But 
Um, Nate's got a, a very driven person, uh, personality when it comes to paperwork and getting things buttoned off, while Mark Meadows was very much in the field and talking to people and gathering data. And um, com a combination of those two, it's a bit of a lightning bolt when it comes to you know, needing to get things done. It's, it's, it's an effective move. The culture itself has been tough. You know, we, we had a downturn. Um, it was really hard for us to suffer a lot of the losses that we had to go through for, uh, to survive as a company in the, in, the, in the last year and a half during COVID. And um, to, 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 to see that off um, with the, the merger or acquisition or takeover of Slumberjay's uh, frack and wildline assets um, felt like a, a, a huge... Uh, you know, oasis in, in, in a long, long, long desert that we walked through. And we weren't sure where it was going to go. But to see that extra, um, those extra thousand odd people come on board, it has been a bit of a challenge to exact Liberty's culture from what we had into those guys because it's basically doubled our, doubled our size. Mm. Um, so we've done what we can. We put people through our new hire orientation classes um, and teach them the Liberty way and how, what the trucks look like and, and how they work. Um, and spread out the the crew leadership that we have that were with Liberty over into um, the blue fleets that we affectionately call Slumberjays mm -hmm. uh, fleets right now. And um, I think the FSRs have been pretty invaluable as well because they've been able to, um, because they're not a, a op mission critical position, they're not running a blender or driving the hydro or you know working the, the data van. They, they had the opportunity to get in the truck and drive over to the Blue Fleets and start looking at where their strengths were and um, integrating where our strengths were. And um, slowly but surely just teaching the culture inside the Blue Fleets without actually bringing the red guys over. So it's a transition and it's taking its time. But so far, it's been, it's been pretty easy from my side, I think. Just, so so your, your field safety, sorry. No, your field safety reps, uh, and you mentioned earlier that there uh, essentially is one per crew. Are they, do they, lack of a better term, live with that crew, or do they have multiple crews that they're safety representative for? Uh, I'm just curious from that standpoint, especially when it goes to the culture question, if, and sometimes this is just not possible, but if, you know, you have a, in my in my way of thinking, if your field safety rep lived with that crew, they were together all of the time, then you could develop a pretty strong rapport and pretty strong culture. There could be some downsides to that too, but I'm just curious how you guys look at that. Is it a one-for-one -one relationship, crew to FSR, or is there another ratio that's used? Yeah, when that FSR program was started, that was exactly it. You had, um, it was dedicated safety position, and dedicated doesn't just mean safety. It was to that crew. As we've expanded, um, you, you, you either uh, take make cuts where, where you can sure. or you collapse. No point in collapsing. You have to keep people alive. So the FSR team didn't expand as quickly as we did the, the crews. So um, one of the that, – and that, that's, that's unfortunate. But one of the benefits with that is now you're taking a personality who sees all the good, like I just explained, on, on one crew – and when he goes and visits another crew, he goes and, and spreads that good news, um, those good ideas over there as well. Yeah, I think there's value in that for sure. Yeah. And uh, and you're exactly right. You you, the idea is to grow that position, but you just can't. Uh, business conditions and, and things like that mm. don't allow that for right now. So it, yeah, it they've makes made sense it to use them as you can. Yeah, they've made it very clear that safety is 
a priority. Sure. So um, whilst the field safety rep position was extra, you could say, mm. we've had it doing so well for us for so long, it's actually more, it feels like a more of a critical position. So we're never going to get rid of the FSRs entirely. But um, expanding them in tough times, that would not be the smartest move sure. just yet. That's a, a position that's sort of elastic, right? You can grow and shrink it. as And it's needed. fairly valuable even when you dilute it a little bit. It still has a lot of the same values, especially when that FSR is good enough to know that he can turn to his crew leadership on one crew and teach them what he was doing. Because mm -hmm. the crew leadership is a white hat, and we have three white hats on every single crew. And they are dedicated, and they're always there. Um, one's in the data van, one's possibly training, and the other one's roaming. And that roaming can actually take on a lot of the FSR duties. So we managed to get the FSR to kind of um, just spread the, the good intentions as to his checklists and what he goes through every day and get the uh, crew leadership to try and start chipping in and, and helping where he can with the safety side of things, which they always have done, but now it's kind of documented. As um, HSC Director Jackamon's famous for saying, if, uh, if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Brody, you know, Liberty, in my experience with them, um, from the top down, from the bottom up, is, is a great organization. You're a perfect example of that. I, I really appreciate you coming, lending your expertise, and obviously your soothing Rhodesian accent to our audience. Uh, thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, Justin, any final thoughts? Anything? No, I've learned uh, quite a bit. I'm going to follow up with you about the Power Apps thing. I think that's a, a unique solution to uh, to something. And, and uh, I've looked into having that built, and that's it, it can be financially limiting. So I'm curious a bit more about that. So offline, uh, you and I can, can chat about that some. So, but it's been great meeting you and, and hanging out. Of course. Nice to meet you, Justin. Jeff, thanks for Thank you, buddy. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the Mission Zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review.